Welcome to the Anti-Woke Podcast. I'm hemorrhaging listeners right now, so please tell a friend about this. The only crime I noticed on NBC Nightly News this past week was there was a black serial killer in Los Angeles. I think it was a black guy, 35 years old, shot four homeless men dead over a period of two days and then maybe got caught on the third day. I mean, using a gun, not chopping up and hiding bodies, doing it over a period of just two days. It's not your total normal serial killer story, but I guess it qualifies. It's almost a cross between a mass shooter and a serial killer. But I've talked about the media, they push a narrative, which is that serial killers are all white. Um, But if you go to Wikipedia and look at the list of serial killers and look at like the last, I forget what it was, but you know, if you look at the last 10 or 20 serial killers that got caught in America, it's like half white, half black. I don't remember if there was Hispanic on there. I'm not sure why NBC Nightly News covered this one. I don't know if it was an ongoing investigation, you know, like killer at large, and then they caught him, so that was why it broke through, or they just don't care about the race of serial killers now. I certainly doubt it's that. But it seems like there's about two or three serial killers per year, so they could certainly be talking about him more. I mean, especially if you allow for talking about black ones you know maybe there's like one white one and one black one per year so if you talk about all races that doubles the serial killers that the news can talk about just something to keep an eye on and i don't think they talked about the ukraine war this week on nbc nightly news i mean they must have but i've it wasn't much and i've forgotten i guess there's a term war fatigue We may be hitting war fatigue with Ukraine. It definitely got pushed off of the front page, second page, I mean, you know, first half of the newspaper by the Israel war. There's this thing where Biden wants to give Ukraine a ton of money and then Republicans may, are saying, are making noises that they don't want to do it. I think they actually will, but I can't remember if that battle started before the Israel war. I think it did. And so the news was going to talk about the evil Republicans not giving weapons to Ukraine, but basically no one, no one cares about that even. The media was talking about George Santos, the House of Reps Republican, the gay Republican, who was spending his campaign money on porn and lip filler. And I think he's like, maybe six House of Rep people have been kicked out of the House ever and three of i'm making this up but three of them were confederate soldiers or something so that happened a long time ago and then two of them got convicted of some serious crimes and then there's this guy who probably committed some crimes but he hasn't been convicted basically i think there's a new criteria a lower bar has been set for kicking people out of the house of representatives but it takes 60 percent vote so bipartisan both sides have to want someone gone so I'm going to see, I just, I don't, I don't think it's going to be, you know, two per century anymore. It's probably going to happen more often. And the Republicans have a teeny majority, so they kind of needed him. But I think the reasoning is that Republicans did great in New York State, like a place that they never do good. And so there's a bunch of other Republicans that are probably about to lose in the upcoming election. And they just like, they don't want to have to talk about 
the other one that came that was swept in alongside them, George Santos. So I think they're getting rid of him so that maybe the other New York Republicans could win. The Morning Wire podcast has been talking about a large increase in gun ownership, basically because of the Black Lives Matter riots. And it sounds like something around 42% of households have a gun before Black Lives Matter, and now 52% do. And the biggest increases are amongst women and people of color. I mean, I don't know the numbers. You know, maybe women went from 2% to 5% or something. I don't think, I don't think women are packing heat big time now. And are black people getting guns because they're worried about rioters running into their house or because the cops are coming after them? I don't know. Oh, and young people. They've also increased their gun ownership levels. And I'm not sure how. I'm not sure what the 42 and 52% was, actually. But anyways, something about gun ownership went from 42 to 52, which is the biggest increase ever. And then we don't have the data yet, but they're saying that after the George Floyd increase in murders, the biggest increase ever, um, maybe this year is the biggest decrease ever. And this guy was talking about that because he's like, well, you know, it isn't like people sent their, didn't, they didn't return their guns to the manufacturer or something. They still got their guns. So buying a bunch of guns and everyone having a bunch of guns does not mean necessarily that there's a bunch of murder. It's more like you have a bunch of murder and people go out and get their guns in response. So last week... The Netherlands got tired of immigration. Oh, and also Ireland. This week, there's articles going around about how the crime in Sweden is through the roof. And one of the Economist podcasts is talking about it. And the Economist is like super open borders, super free trade. For them to mention it is... I mean, there's a there's change. There's change afoot. And so Sweden let in a lot of Muslims somewhat recently, I guess in comparison to other European countries. And sometimes you hear people say that Sweden is the rape capital of Europe because Muslims are raping so many Swedish women. I went and double-checked that. It's a little hard to say because the way that they count rapes in Sweden changed over the same period that they let in a bunch of Muslims. Basically, I don't know, like a wolf whistle or something might be considered sexual assault there now, when in the past it hadn't been. So that makes the numbers go up. I don't know, you got apples and oranges, hard to say. But definitely the number of murders and just violent crime in general is through the roof there. I mean, it's still not that much compared to you know, parts of America. But I guess it really took off, uh, don't quote me on these dates, I think in 2018 or 2020, um, they went and prosecuted all the drug kingpins. I don't know if this is like America where they call it gang violence when it really is just, you know, if a black person commits a mass shooting, they say, well, we're not going to count that in the mass shooting category. We're going to throw that over to the gang violence category to cook the books because just saying a black person did a mass shooting that's racist so i don't know exactly if they're you know if it's just interpersonal disputes or if it's actually drug money anyway i don't know 
but in 2018 or 2020, they went and took down all the leaders of the gangs in Sweden, which created a vacuum. And then a bunch of people who were not as, who didn't have as good of impulse control as the previous leaders of the gangs took over, like, you know, younger, dumber, full of something or other. And so that has made the violence much worse. I think that happened in America, like when they took out the Mafia Dons, all of a sudden the lower level guys were let off the chain. And also just general Bloods, Crips, gang, gangs also. It's one of those interesting um, unintended consequences. Take out the leader of a gang, cause a bunch of murder. But so now there's just one gang, I guess, in Sweden called Foxtrot. And it's a, it's a Kurdish Swede who controls it. Anyways, he, he, he moved to Turkey. And they're talking about some other general of Foxtrot. He lives in Iraq. So it's kind of like Hamas where the leaders live in Qatar and five-star five hotels. Anyways, the leaders of the Muslim gangs in Sweden, they moved out of Sweden, so you can't take them down anymore. Although, it sounds like if you took them out with a drone or something, if they got America to drone them, um, it would just make the violence even worse. And Sweden has very lenient criminal laws, so, I don't know, basically, if you're under 18 and you commit murder, I think your maximum sentence is three or four years, so they're like, oh, fine, all right, all the murders are now done by people under 18. And I will say, yeah, this Economist segment, let's see, it came out on Wednesday, if you want it, The Intelligence. It's named Swede Demons as a play on Speed Demons. But they're interviewing someone, and they do mention that it's, it's a mentality. It's not money. It's not drug money. It's just, if you're not a violent gang member, then you're not cool. You're not masculine. Don't you want to be a real man? And they mention they go to interview a youth outreach lady. In the middle of the interview, she has to run out and stop a couple young, they don't say this, must be Muslim Swedes stomping some other Swede, possibly a white one, possibly a girl. They don't mention that. And I don't know when the next election in Sweden is. I think, I guess they've got a, the, a center-right government is now in control. And they got elected with promises of cracking down on crime and maybe limiting immigration. I imagine... It won't be successful. And it's not as hard, it's not as, uh, there's a coalition with the far-right group, but the center-right group is the one that's in charge. Sweden is still woke. I guess they're saying Swedish people are aware of these problems of integrating Muslims into Sweden, which has like a super non-violent culture where you just, whatever, are very responsible, do everything about your life in a responsible manner, and then all these Muslims ain't. But anyways, they're aware of it. They're still, Swedish people are generally still woke, and, but things are changing. And in Germany, they got something called the debt break, which means that you have to have a balanced budget. You put a brake on, you know, like a car brake. You put a brake on your debt. But if there's an emergency, you can go into debt. And so for the pandemic... I think they borrowed maybe 180 billion and then after the pandemic was over they had 60 billion and 
the government's like, hey, let's just spend that on climate change. And then some parts of the government are like, uh, that's going against the debt break, which is in the Constitution. I think they put it in in maybe the late 2000s. And they're like, climate change may be an emergency, but this money was not allocated for that specific emergency. Climate change is, you know, they tried to say it was pandemic adjacent. Anyways, they're like, that's not close enough. But basically, they're trying to spend $60 billion on something that is woke. And the German Supreme Court said, you can't. They just had a ruling on that. And I don't think woke, anti-woke is affecting the German Supreme Court, but... Maybe stuff is afoot in Germany, too. Let's figure out exactly what's going on with immigration and migration in Europe. I had to look it up. It's mildly complicated. But things are in flux right now. People don't know what the future is because Poland voters just turned down an anti-immigration party. And that's because they tied their anti-immigration to anti-abortion rights. And it turns out European voters, they want to stop immigration... But if they have to give up their abortion to do it, then they change their mind. And so, you know, pro-immigration people are like, yay, the voters are with us. Look at Poland. And now they're like, oh my God, but look at the Netherlands. The voters just said we don't want immigration. And so the party that won in the Netherlands, what they tied anti-immigration to was These Muslims can't be trusted, they don't like free speech, and they don't like gays. They don't like the queers, come on people, we like the queers, we like everyone to be able to live a, you know, equal rights life, and these Muslims are not compatible with that. And so it looks like European voters are like, you know, if we can have our abortion and gay rights, and anti-immigration, then we will vote for it. And a similar thing is going on in America where Republicans are trying to figure out what to do because basically the Republican platform is very popular in almost all ways except for the abortion thing, which is an incredibly, you know, it may be a deal breaker. We'll see. And basically, same thing. Same thing in America as Europe. Abortion may be a deal breaker. You want to build a wall? Well, don't tie it to anti-abortion rights. So in Europe, it's not up to each individual country. Um, Netherlands, Sweden, Italy, up until this year, Poland, a lot of countries elected anti-immigration parties, but they're not in control of immigration. That's controlled by the European Union. So it hasn't amounted to a hill of beans. Now, if there's all these voters voting against immigration, you know... And the European Union is a democratically elected thing. Uh, you know, why isn't, why isn't stuff changing? Well, the European Union, there's an election for it every five years. The last one was in 2019. The next election is in 2024, June, next year. So seven months from now, we're going to see how fed up with, you know, how fed up people are with stepping over sleeping Africans as they leave their front door. I just like to use that example. I believe it's only in Italy where you have to step over sleeping Africans when you leave your front door. But Sweden is, you know, the rape capital, the murder capital, the throwing grenades into people's houses capital because of a bunch of immigration. So, you know, it depends on your country. And Poland didn't allow immigrants in, so that might be why they... It's not this high a priority to Poland. The pendulum swings. I think the more immigrants you get, 
the more voters want to stop it. Because just like America, you know, you're going to be accused of being a racist. So, you know, how much accusations of racism can you take to vote the way you really want to vote? So let's compare the European Union to America. I mean, I don't know much. This is going to be very exaggerated or wrong or whatever. But in America, you got like the president, you got Congress, and you got the Supreme Court. And so the European Union, they got some kind of Supreme Court equivalent. Their Congress is called a parliament. Instead of a single president like Joe Biden, they have the European Union Commission, and it's 28 people. And the voters in Europe, they decide on the, they vote for the European Union Parliament, and then the Parliament basically picks the commission, the president, which is 28 people. And I think it's 28 people because there's 28 countries, and no country wants to be frozen out of the commission. And the commission is what really makes the rules. So if European voters want to stop immigration, they have to elect a parliament that will appoint a commission that is willing to stop immigration. And immigrants, Europe, you know, Europe was a pretty European place until 2015, I think 2015, 2016, it was the Syrian war when millions and millions of Middle Easterners, and they also just started letting in random Africans and who knows what, Central Asians. Anyways, Europe let in a ton of immigrants in 15 and 16. And then the European Union had an election in 19, and they did not vote against immigration that time. And that was also when, like Britain, if Britain had stayed in Europe, they would have probably voted in a whole bunch of anti-immigration people. But they, let, they got so fed up, they left Europe. And so their votes didn't count. So I'm teaching this to myself. So I'm just going to say it again. So the European Union has a parliament. The elections for it are June of 24. And whatever that parliament decides is what the policy on immigration will be. Now, who is in the parliament? So, you know, these parliaments, they got a bunch of parties. I think the European Union has like seven parties. Like, you know, every country has probably seven parties themselves. But when you elect people to the EU, let's start saying that less syllables. When a country elects people to go to the EU level, they just decide, you know, like in, in, in Germany, you're part of the blah blah party. But when you go to the EU, everyone from the blah blah party goes to the Schazbot party in the EU. So, you know, there's a bunch of parties for each country. And that gets whittled down to a smaller number of parties so that I guess that things are manageable in the EU Parliament. And the only the only name of a party in the EU Parliament I know is the EPP. They're the biggest party. They are they're not hard right. They're um I don't know what are they uh, middle. They're like middle right. Basically, they don't want to give money to poor people but they do want to let in the maximum number of Africans. And so that's where the European voters are kind of screwed. Like, if you're against immigration, well, the biggest right-wing thing in the EU is a pro-immigration party. And there's like, maybe there's 700, roughly, parliament people. And so maybe 200 of them are in the EPP, and then, you know, the next party's got 150, and the next one's got 120, and the next one's got 100, and then 50. Anyways, it just gets smaller and smaller until all 700 
seats are filled with someone from some party. And basically, the biggest party is right wing, except they want to fuck the middle class to help the rich by letting in maximum Africans. Then the next two parties are left wing, where, you know, if you vote left wing, then you're voting for Africans. So, you know, I don't, I don't blame the left wing parties at all. You know, they say they want to let in Africans. You vote for them, you know you're getting Africans. That's all good. You know, it's a democracy. Voters, voters can choose whatever they want. And so that's parties one, two, and three. And then parties four and five are right-wing parties that want to stop immigration. And let me quickly say what immigration does. I haven't said it in a while. This is, I'm going to use America as an example. But illegal immigration helps the rich, hurts the poor, helps married couples, hurts single moms, helps whites, hurts blacks, helps educated people, hurts people without a college degree, helps people in big cities, hurts people in the small towns. It helps the powerful and hurts the weak. And you can just, it just does that in general. You know, it hurts workers. It's like, you know, oh, we don't have to hire you, black man. There's a Mexican who will show up on time for work way better. You know, we don't need to teach you good showing up on time habits because we can get a a Mexican who will show up on time already. Or, well, Mexicans, that's from the, that's from past decades. Now they're from Central America. But, you know, one of the main things it does is drive up housing prices. And so, if you're rich, you own a house. And you want your house to shoot through the roof in value. And if you're poor and you ain't got no house, you'd like housing prices to be reasonable so you could buy one yourself. And so immigration just creates a shortage of housing. Which helps the rich because they already own the houses. Hurts the poor so they will never ever buy a house. It also helps the individual immigrants who move there and destroys the countries that they come from. So, you know, if you're left-wing, you're like, I love to help these Venezuelan families who are moving to America. Well, that's fine. But what they don't wrestle with is the fact that you are destroying Venezuela. All their hard-working, hard-working motivated people are moving to America. That destroys a country. And so, you know, Democrats are like, no, that's not happening. You know, I'm not going to listen to that. That's Nazi talk. The fact that I am destroying the lives of poor people across the planet, that's Nazi talk. And, you know, anyway, so this, all that stuff basically applies to Europe also. Um, I mean, think of African shithole countries. They really cannot afford to let their best people leave. They only got a few good people, constructive, educated people. And anyways, they're all getting the hell out and going to Europe. And, you know, just like America, oh, you don't want to let them come in? That's racist. Oh, is it racist to think that you want to help African countries? It's like, yeah, don't talk about those African countries, you racist. Well, okay, people's heads are probably swimming now. We got to go on. Let's talk about the UK, England. So in England, before Brexit, like the famous example is that people from Poland were moving to England and driving down wages for every native, you know, native English person. You know, and if you were an uneducated English person who also, you know, it ain't just black people in America. There's plenty of white people in England who couldn't show up on time for work. England is like, well, we don't, you know, we don't need to help you, you know, get, get on welfare or something. We're going to hire a Polish person. They'll show up on time work for work and be a very, very hardcore, dedicated worker because Poland was super poor, especially back then. And so England voted to leave the EU because... The EU always stops any countries that wants to stop immigration. And that was, you know, EU immigration is between countries. So that's like totally allowed. 
And this wasn't the giant, I mean, I'm sure they got a ton of Africans and Syrians, but anyways, before Brexit. But it really was kind of within the EU that they wanted to stop. And so the UK left the EU, which did stop the Polish people from moving there. And instead what they got was a ton of Africans. You know, like, you thought a bunch of Polish people were moving to the UK? It's probably, you know, for every Polish person that you used to have, now you got like three or three or five completely uneducated, 20-year-old, super high on testosterone men from Africa. I don't know the exact numbers, but anyways, they got, they now have tons and tons of people from Africa and the Middle East and Central Asia moving to the UK. So, you know, uh, Brexit voters are not super happy with the right-wing party that they put in power because to switch from Polish people to Africans is, well, you know, you, you can imagine what that would be like. But now, you know, here's, I'm like, well, they left the EU. The EU can't tell them to let in maximum Africans. What the hell happened? And so I never even heard of this thing. But it turns out there's an organization called the Council of Europe. And the UK is still a member of the Council of Europe. Like, you know, I went on the internet, looked up the Council of Europe, and the first thing they say is, do not confuse the Council of Europe with the European Union. But anyways, that's the first thing I did. It's the first thing you did. And it's understandable. Basically, it's like the European Union. There's the EU that you heard of, and there's a whole other EU that you hadn't heard of. But it's there. It's powerful as hell. And basically, Britain would have had to leave two things. There's two things that make you take in Africans. And if you're in either one of them, you know, if you're still in one of them, you still got to take in the Africans. They only left one. And the Council of Europe started in 49, the European Union started in 73. I don't know anything about the history of them. I will say, 49, obviously it has something to do with World War II. Makes me think it might have something to do with Israel also. I think, you know, the UN, Council of Europe, I wonder if they have anything to do with Israel, I don't know. But let's get into the weeds a bit. So, the Council of Europe doesn't necessarily control immigration in every country. But in 1998, the UK passed a law, I think it's called the Human Rights Act. So the Human Rights Act of 98, the UK passed it, and what, it, what that law said was their courts have to go by Council of Europe rules. And so every time people are like, oh, instead of letting the Africans live in the UK until we figure it out if, if they're you know, here because... They're going to be murdered in their home country, or they just don't like their country and they're moving here. It's, you know, like America, the asylum thing that everyone claims asylum. No one is really entitled to asylum, but the system just lets them in. doesn't have time to process them. Anyways, in 98, they said, we're going to follow the Council of Europe. And so that's why, you know, I think in 98, they didn't have a bunch of immigrants. They weren't thinking ahead what that was going to mean. And I think it's just a normal law. So why don't you just repeal that law or pass another law that says don't follow the Council of Europe maybe on anything or at least on immigration and here's the thing I wonder like you know I'm American so I don't know a ton about the UK but also I follow world politics you know probably 99.9 percentile out of Americans and I never heard of this stuff I wonder if people in the UK even understand what they really need to vote for to get what they want I mean, I listen to a lot of UK people, and they're not constantly bringing up the Human, I Human Rights Act that needs to be repealed. So I don't think they know. 
But so Boris Johnson, he was the leader in the UK for Brexit. And his government, they created a law. They were gonna, they were gonna change the situation. And they created a law called the Bill of Rights. I mean, these laws got some pretty important sounding names. But anyways, they created a Bill of Rights law or they drafted it, they wrote it. And it said free speech for the UK, which they don't have. And it said, don't follow the Council of Europe on immigration stuff. And then what happened to that law that I never heard of? I was looking it up and it's like, there's a name, Liz Truss. I bet you don't even remember her, but Liz Truss was the leader of the UK after Boris Johnson and before the guy they got now. Basically, the only thing I remember about her was like some UK newspaper put a webcam on a head of lettuce at room temperature and it just sat there looking at the head of lettuce. And they were like, will Liz Truss's government last longer or will this head of lettuce at room temperature last longer? And the answer was, the head of lettuce lasted longer. And Liz Truss, like she had, there's only one thing that she was going to do, or at least that's what I thought. She was going to take money from the middle class and the poor and give it to the rich. Like that was, that was the only thing that she was there to do. And sometimes leaders get away with doing that stuff. But anyways, in the UK, that was why she didn't last as long as a head of lettuce. They're like, if the only thing you're going to do is fuck the middle class and the poor and give money to the rich, then you're out. So they got rid of her. But in fact, she did do something. She did a thing, didn't even know it. She was doing two things at the she was doing something she would never achieve and doing something she would achieve. And she killed the, the Bill of Rights law, the one that would have given them free speech and stopped immigrants from Africa. Anyway, I mean, that's, you know, that's all you need to know right there is like, you know, immigrants from Africa, who does that help? Well, the lady whose only purpose in life is to give money to the rich, she killed the bill that would stop Africans. So, you know, don't take my word for it. Takes a little bit of reading between the lines, but not much. I'm on a roll. So let's go back to the EU with the EPP, which is the center-right party that's the largest one. Well, they just spearheaded and passed a law for the EU that says that Africans need to be let in, period. I think what it is, is if any country tries to not let a ton of Africans in, then the EU is going to do you know, everything that they can possibly do to hurt a country that's in the EU, then all that stuff will automatically happen to you if you try and stop, in, stop African migration. And then the way they sold that law is they're like, if we don't pass this law, then we're about to get a whole bunch of right-wing parties that are going to stop immigration in here. You know, if you don't let us do what we want, I guess what they, you know... I, you know, they wanted to help the rich and hurt the middle class and let in Africans. So I think, I think that was what it is. It's like, you're going to get a bunch of right-wing people, so you better let us help the rich and hurt the middle class, and then we'll let in the Africans. It's like in America. They've got, these, they've got this term, comprehensive immigration reform. And what that is a euphemism for is making every immigrant who's in America a U.S. citizen. But when you say it like that, People are going to start going, uh, I don't know if I support that. So you just call it comprehensive immigration reform. So that's basically kind of what the EPP did. And it's not entirely clear to me why that will stop voters from voting in 
anti-immigration right-wing parties in next year. Somehow, that was the theory. I think it's kind of like Obamacare. So, I mean, my listeners probably don't support Obamacare. I mean, I don't really support it, but we probably, you know, I'm actually a left-wing person. So, you know, we probably don't like Obamacare for different reasons. But what happened with Obamacare was Obama let the health insurance industry write the law. And you're like, why would the health insurance industry write a Obamacare thing that puts a bunch of people on Medicaid? Medicare? Medicaid. Well, the answer is the health insurance companies could see that something was coming down the pipeline. So what they needed to do was put in a piece of crap law that doesn't really work and give health insurance to everyone. Because if they didn't do that, then there was going to be, you know, European-style health care for all. Everyone was going to be covered by the government if they didn't put in a piece of crap thing to, and say, you know, so Obama could say, hey, I gave you this. You know, we, we don't need to talk about health insurance anymore. I gave you Obamacare. And so I think that's what the EPP did with their... I think, the, I think they passed the law this year. They're getting scared. They're getting scared. All right, what else? So there's this rule. I think I said a lot of this in the previous part of this podcast, but there's this rule. It has a French name. I don't know what it is. It's like Sorbet de Cinnabon. But it says that no party, doesn't matter if you're center-right, you know, center-right all the way to the far left, everyone, every party agrees to never join a coalition with the far right. And I think that's because, you know, the far right, well, you know, in the late 30s, (laughs) that was the Nazis. And so they just have this rule left over from then, when now the so-called far right, you know, people who like, they're, you know, there's parties that are like communists, basically, except they want to stop immigration. That's far right. That's how the French far right party is. Anyways, they just have this rule that no one partners with the far right. So, you know, say the far right gets anti... They should be calling the anti-immigration right. Say they get 49% of the vote. You're like, wow, you know, and the next party only has 10%. Well, it doesn't matter if every other party gangs up and says we won't join you. Anyways, that's how, you know, is that a threat to democracy? Voters don't get what they want. There's a lot of voting inertia It's raining on my screen, and when I try and push stop record, it keeps going. And I think in Germany, the biggest party is an anti-immigration right-wing party, but because of this Sorbet de Cinnabon, um, anyways, they don't have power there. And eventually people are going to get over that rule. Is it going to happen soon? We don't know. I mean, the EU elections are every five years, so you really got to live with your... You know, you make your bed, you got to lay in it for five years, a long time. I think anti-immigration people are probably not like, let's do it. I don't know if 2024 is the right year. They probably like to get away from Trump. I think their media is going going to go crazy over Trump. And, you know, the longer you let immigrants disproportionately commit all the worst crimes, etc., you know, take up all the resources from the welfare state, the more people are on your side. So, you know, that's the question. Is 2020, are people fed up enough in 2024? Or, you know, 2025, they're going to be fed up, but, ah, sorry, you, you voted, you already voted in the pro-immigration people, and now you got to sleep in your bed with Africans for five years. 
in like Ireland, an immigrant stabbed some children, but then right-wing people rioted, so, you know, those are, those are going to push and pull voters in two different directions. Palestinians going out and peacefully protesting may push people one way, peaceful protests turning into riots may push people another way. So we're going to see, but I guess we'll know in June 24, and we'll probably start seeing some pre-election polling before then. So something to keep an eye on. We've solved climate change. It's not even a problem. Barely an inconvenience. This week's episode of Big Brains from the University of Chicago has a professor on. He does solar geoengineering. And don't quote any of these numbers. I'm going from memory, but it's something like if we put a million tons of sulfates into the upper atmosphere, it will reflect maybe up to 1% of the sunlight, which will counteract global warming. And I think that will hold us steady. If you want to get colder, you add more sulfates. If you want to just slow climate change down, you add less. And you're like, I don't want to be breathing sulfates. Um, apparently, we used to put tons, tons more than that of sulfates into the atmosphere. I think you remember when uh, America used to have a pollution problem? Like in the 60s and 70s, New York City had a river that was famous for being polluted and gross and all the fish were dying. I think it was like the East River or the Hudson River. And like that river is like super nice and cleaned up today. Uh, I remember in the early 80s, I went to Los Angeles and they had smog. I believe they've pretty much gotten rid of the smog pretty much all across America, I think. Anyways, we used to have way more sulfates back in the day. The trick to adding sulfates to the upper atmosphere is it needs to be, a, it's a, a small amount, but it's spread out over the entire world. It has to cover the entire world. So any, any individual place, it won't be that bad. It won't be like living in a polluted city back in the day. That's just a little bit of sulfates all concentrated in one spot, which doesn't combat climate change. Anyways, and he mentions there was some volcano, I think in Iceland, that went off a number of years ago. And it put 8 million tons of sulfates into the atmosphere. So, you know, if we do 1 million a year, it's like, whatever, it's just not even a... Barely an inconvenience, not even a problem. Oh, and it will take a hundred airplanes dedicated to the project, and it will cost five to ten billion dollars a year, which is not very much. I think Joe Biden's Inflation Reduction Act, which is actually a Green New Deal, and I think increases inflation, anyways, that thing's like a trillion, so that will do whatever. That would solve climate change plus have 900 billion left over. But so this is a University of Chicago professor, Uchai, I don't know if they call it that, but I'm gonna say it. They're like the least woke, or possibly the only not woke, um, like top 10 university in America. Yeah, least woke, because even they are woke. And so he throws in a bunch of caveats. I mean, basically it's like, yeah, we can solve it anytime we want, we know how to do it. It, ain't, it doesn't cost that much money. But we shouldn't do it. We should not solve climate change. I think basically because people will get very upset. 
a lot of people around the world have wrapped up a lot of emotions in the fact that people on the right are evil and they've been denying climate change or even if they admit that it's real then they are not willing to do what it takes to stop it i mean it would be hard to let that go it's a, it's a very nice bludgeon to attack your right-wing enemies with and we can see like elon musk and tesla elon has done more to prevent climate change than any other person who has ever lived and yet people on the left hate him because it turns out they don't actually want to solve climate change you know climate change hurts people in i think pakistan bangladesh in particular those two countries are really getting hammered people on the left don't give a shit about they don't give a flying shit about people in bangladesh I mean, they'll say they will, but then you're like, oh, well, then we can just solve climate change and help them? It's like, no, no. We need to punish the West. We need to punish America. We need to punish white people for what they've done. They need to think about what they've done. They need to sit in the corner. They need to have their taxes raised, and we need to send that money to the poor countries to make up for what climate change is doing to them. We can't just solve climate change and everything's okay. Well, yeah, so that's... I mean, I'm I'm adding a lot of baggage onto it, but that's kind of what this professor was saying. So he's like, yeah, we can solve climate change tomorrow. It's cheap, it's easy. Because, but what we need to do is we need a moratorium on any sort of solar geoengineering. Because, you know, like what what if one country wants to solve climate change right now, but other countries don't? I mean, you know, basically... What if, you know, what if China, hell, what if Bangladesh, they ain't got much money, but they might be able to come up with 10 billion. What if, you know, what if one country just wants to solve climate change and get it over with, and then all the other woke countries, that was useful. They were attacking their political enemies with that issue. So he's calling for a moratorium. We need an international agreement. I mean, UN, all the countries, whatever. You need to get together and say, we will not solve climate change until we all agree <laughs> that it's an allowable thing to do. And maybe it'll be decided, no, the only, you know, humans caused it, so the only way you can solve it is by punishing humans. You've got to take away gasoline. You've got to take away oil and natural gas from humans. They've got to, you know, you, 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 can't, you can't just solve climate change. You've got to invent nuclear fusion and pull the CO2 out of the atmosphere. Yeah, anyways, I think, I'm, I think I'm belaboring it. I'm going into labor, I'm belaboring so much. I'm crowning. I got 7 pounds, 11 ounces of baby Jesus. But basically, we solve climate change. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how long it takes for that fact to get out there. There was a... New York Times has a climate reporter. It's like his beat. Anyways, the number... the. The guy whose entire job, job is to work for the New York Times and talk about climate issues. I heard an interview with him months back, and he was talking about how all the projections for, they measure it in Celsius. I think it was like, you know, by 2100, it's going to be two and a half degrees warmer on average. And then the projections most recently were it's going to be one degree. And basically, the, the projections, every year that we head into the future, the projected increase in average temperature gets smaller. And he, you know, basically, because they asked him, you know, how upset are you? Are you freaking out? Your kids are going to live in a hellscape? He's like, you know, 
I was feeling that way, but as I watch these estimates go down, 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 I don't feel so freaked out anymore. And then he didn't say this, but if you just, if you look at the way those things are going, they're heading towards zero. I mean, I don't know if they'll go to zero without doing solar geoengineering, but basically, not only can we fix climate change, you know, not this year, it's December already, but probably next year if we want, but there may not even really be anything to fix anyways. And I mean, that's the New York Times. I mean, you know, these are professors from academia and New York Times reporters. I mean, whatever, you know, don't, don't take my word for it. Take, those are people who wish climate change was worse. And what would be funny is, I mean, I don't even know this is true, but supposedly the COVID vaccine was a wonderful thing and it saved many lives. And yeah, you know who created the COVID vaccine? It was Trump, the Trump administration. They called it Operation Warp Speed. It was one of the last things that happened to him before the rigged election. And so Biden, like, you know, the people who, whatever, Biden supporters are not going to want to hear about solving climate change. Oh, Biden, you solved it. No, good job. That is not what would happen for Biden. So Biden cannot solve climate change. Trump has a lot more leeway. So, you know, in a way, Trump may have already gone down in history as the president who saved the most lives ever because of the COVID vaccine. And then he could go down in history as the guy who saved climate change. Elon Musk is in the news again. The New York Times had some sort of summit where CEOs did interviews in front of a big live audience, including Bob Iger, CEO of Disney, and Elon. And a bunch of large corporations have pulled their advertising from Twitter. And I think Bob Iger in his little interview said that, I don't know, he's a good person. So he had to pull Disney's money from Twitter. And then Elon, his interview came at a later point on the same day. And Elon made the news because he told everyone who pulled their advertising to go fuck yourself. Here's a clip. There's a public perception that, and, and you're clarifying this now, um, but there's a public perception that that was part of a apology tour, if you will. That this had been said online, there was all of the criticism, there was advertisers leaving. We talked to Bob Iger I hope today. they stop. You hope? Uh, don't advertise. You don't want them to advertise? No. What do you mean? If, if somebody's going to try to blackmail me with advertising, blackmail me with money? Go fuck yourself. But go fuck yourself. <laughs> is that clear? I hope it is. Hey, Bob, if you're in the audience. And so that's fine. You can see there he's like, hey, Bob, if you're listening, he's talking to Bob Iger. So he just told the CEO of Disney to get fucked. And Tucker Carlson is on the All In podcast this week. Highly recommend. And they asked him about it, and what he was amazed by, he was like, the guy interviewing him didn't even laugh for a second. Like, it was hilarious, but he's such a part of the liberal hive mind, or whatever, the establishment, that he couldn't laugh at an obviously funny statement. But so Elon and Twitter are in a lawsuit against Media Matters. Media Matters is a left-wing organization that tries to cancel right-wing media companies. You know, instead of canceling people, you cancel entire companies like Fox News. I think they usually organize advertiser boycotts. And 
Twitter is suing them for defamation. They say that Media Matters created Twitter accounts where the Twitter account, all it did was it followed a whole bunch of neo-Nazis and a whole bunch of large corporations, and then they just sat there and hit refresh on their browser until, you know, a thousand times, until eventually a neo-Nazi post was next to, like, a Disney ad, and then they put it out saying, Twitter is rife with anti-Semitism. And we'll see if that lawsuit goes anywhere. But Elon didn't help himself. He kind of shot himself in the foot. He put out a post. He replied to a post saying, that's the actual truth. And the way I read the post was, Jews have kind of made their bed and now they got to sleep in it because they've been anti-white racists, you know, a bunch up until today, through today. And now people are like, uh, you're white. And so there, you know, there's a backlash against Jews. That was how I read it. Elon apologized and he said that Jews have been giving money to NGOs and then those NGOs have been promoting Hamas. So like the Anti-Defamation League. I don't know, Jews give money to the Anti-Defamation League. The Anti-Defamation League is, I don't know, promoting Palestinian murder of Jews. And Elon went to Israel and he went and saw the, I can't remember the name, the, the Hizbits, the Chazbots. The people, a lot of the people who got murdered on October 7th were these communes. They were like left-wing communist communes left over from, I don't know, from communism. <laughs> Basically World War II communism. I don't know if it's like communally owned the land. Anyways, it was a bunch of left-wing pro-Palestinian Jews that, you know, got murdered that day. You know, they had the, they had the concert. I don't know, it was, you know, it was irony. I, lots of ironic murders and rapes happened that day. And I was watching Mark Dice on YouTube. He's a guy who's always talking about anti-whiteism. He's trying to make that term a thing instead of racist against whites, which is what I say, or whatever it is I say. But he thinks that powerful people are going to have to shut down Twitter. It's going to have to happen before this upcoming election. And the way they will do it is Apple and Google will pull the Twitter app from their app stores. And I've talked about that. You know, Google can also pull the extensions for your Chrome browser. I mean, Apple and Google can make things disappear. So are they going to do that? Is, you know, are they going to just make Twitter go poof, gone? In the interview, Elon was like, you know, the world. He said, he said you know, who... He said, people are going to judge who made Twitter fail, go bankrupt, disappear. He's like, you know, the judge will say that it wasn't me. It wasn't me and my anti-Semitic tweets or, you know, not really anti-Semitic tweets. It was the evil corporations where they care about looking good while doing evil. And the interviewer is like, wait, who's going to judge that? And Elon's like, Earth. Earth will judge it. And the interviewer is like, uh, are you going to... Start a boycott against Disney, and Elon's like, there already is a boycott against Disney. But Apple was one of the biggest advertisers that pulled their ads from Twitter, so we'll see how pissed off they are. I'm sure that Apple employees are the wokest of the woke, and they would love to just totally destroy Twitter, and they have the power to do it. I mean, you know, everyone who's listening to this on an iPhone, right? They can do whatever they want. They can take... They could take... I don't know, they could take this podcast off, I guess. They could do anything they want. 
but I'm not sure that they will do it. It's just, it would be a little too obvious to nuke Twitter leading up to the election. I mean, they've done it to a lot of smaller things, but I don't know. It just, there'd be some blowback. I'm not sure when the next Supreme Court session is coming, but they're about to look at big tech. They're about to look at government using big tech to rig elections. Donald Trump may be about to be elected, and you don't want, you know, when he's in charge of the, who would it be? Not the DOJ, the SEC, whoever it is that breaks up companies, um, like, you know, all in podcast, what they think needs to happen is the app stores need to be broken off of Apple and Google because it gives them too much power. Like, they're, 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 they're right now suing Google for being too big and trying to break off the advertising section of Google, which no one cares about. It's the app stores. And the European Union was talking about making the app stores allow any app, but they're probably changing their mind on that as, you know, that would help right-wing apps that they hate. So we'll see how that goes. And then Tesla released their Cybertruck. I mean, sort of. I guess maybe 10 of them? Maybe 10 people? I, I've been watching YouTube. I haven't seen anyone who's like, I, I bought a Cybertruck and here it is. But apparently some people got them, and it's going to be a slow ramp up before everyone can buy them. Um, but basically, like, his rocket is flying into space. I mean, the media said it was a failure, even though it was a giant success. And then he just released the Cybertruck, which people were like, that will never happen, and it's happening. It was supposed to cost, I think, forty, sixty, and $70,000 for the various trim levels, but instead it's costing... 80 and 100 and a $60,000 one, they're saying, oh, that'll come in a couple years. Basically, it costs a lot more than they said it would. It's not surprising. Uh, no company, none of the, you know, the other companies that make EV trucks, electric trucks, like Ford, I think is the number one, one with the Ford Lightning, F-150 Lightning. Um, they can't make them because there's a battery shortage. And Tesla makes their own batteries, but they can't make them fast enough or good enough, so they got to sh- they're part of the shortage. So they just you can't just sell. They want to sell 250,000 trucks a year. They can't just go do that because they don't have the batteries. But the truck exists. People are buying it, and there's so few available that 80,000, 100,000. I mean, they'll fly off the shelf when there's only a few of them. You know, tens or hundreds or thousands of them available. When you get to hundreds of thousands, people may go, "That's too expensive." But I think the Cybertruck event happened the day after the New York Times thing where he told all the advertisers to go fuck themselves. Um, And the event was... Normally Tesla events are longer and bigger and fancier and blah, blah. And this one was kind of short and sweet and didn't have a lot of effort put into it. And, I don't know, Elon is busy. He is being run ragged right now. Let's talk Disney. So, they just had two of their biggest movie flops ever with the Marvels and Wish. Their CEO, Bob Iger, is not looking happy and energized when he gives speeches now. But, we gotta be fair, and their stock price is up in the last month. From like the low 80s to maybe $95. So, I don't know exactly why. You know, 
they were in the 200 maybe 250 dollars at one point in 21 so they're down from their high but they're up from their low things could definitely be worse and one of disney's biggest cash cows is espn and there was some doubt whether or not they could get a ton of money from the cable companies get another contract but they did get a contract and i think i think they get the same amount of money they just have to give out free Disney Plus subscriptions to cable subscribers. And Disney Plus keeps losing tons of money, but at least they have a streaming service. I think Wall Street is like, you know, someday in the future, there's going to be com companies with streaming services and then companies that disappeared. So basically, the stock is up, but Bob Iger is not looking that happy. So mixed messages. And it takes years to make a movie, so if they're going to pivot to not trying to make the kids gay, you won't know about it for, you know, at least until probably 2025. And they kind of canceled all their 2024 stuff, so maybe that's what's going on. And I don't know if people are, you know, how long does it take to forgive Disney if they go back to making good quality content? We don't know. But the other interesting stuff was, I guess Bob Iger, every quarter he does a speech and takes questions from employees and he just did one of those but this time he did not take any questions from employees possibly in indicating that employees are pissed off don't know if that's a woke anti-woke thing or i think they had a bunch of layoffs who knows and then public companies have to do sec filings every so often i guess and so disney did theirs recently and it's kind of crazy. They basically said that, you know, ESG, that woke capitalism thing, they said that ENS was not meshing up with audience expectations and costing them money. So E is environment. That normally means um, fighting climate change. So I don't know if that's maybe, you know, saving money at the amusement parks in some way that's pissing off the customers. And then S is social, which means that you don't hire and pass over for promotion whites and straights and men. And also, you put a lot of gay, gay characters and people of color into your movies. And they didn't mention governance. Governance is where your board of directors has to pass over straights and whites and males. And ideally, straight white males in specific. But... You know, when they're saying the social stuff is not going along with audience expectations, maybe that's what you say when you make a pivot. I mean, obviously they're not going to say, we got woke and we went broke. Because if you say that, well, basically what they're afraid, they took a, they shouldn't have taken a political stance on everything under the sun, but they did. And so now if they roll that back to appeal to, you know, right-wing people, then left-wing people are like, oh, your political stance is rolling stuff back, so now we're going to be pissed off. Basically, you needed to not take a stance. Otherwise, you're, just, you're going to piss off one side or the other, and as you flip-flop back and forth, you just you end up with no one, maybe. And Bob Iger was like, you know, instead of pushing a message, we need to write better scripts, like Black Panther. So, you know, when you say you're going to stop being woke... You better throw in like Black Panther to, you know, to, to, to make it a mixed message so, pe so woke people don't get too pissed off at you. 
maybe or what he means or maybe what he means is we're gonna have tons of black people in our movies but we're getting rid of the gays are they gonna scrape the gays off their boots we don't know some guy on twitter who owns some movie theaters i think in michigan he was saying that customers were coming up to him and asking him is it okay for me to take my kids to wish the latest disney cartoon like Disney cartoons are now known for having inappropriate for children stuff in them. I mean, that's, that's going to be a serious blow. Eh, hell, let's cover what, what happened with Disney over the last 20 years. So Disney was making money hand over fist with their Disney princesses. And it wasn't the movies, it was the merchandise. Like I had a roommate who had a kid... I think she was like a four-year-old girl. She had a birthday party that I had to walk through to get to my part of the house. And that birthday party was her and like 10 other little girls. And they were all just decked out in frozen stuff. And all the gifts were frozen pillowcases and, you know, Frozen's a movie. Frozen, whatever, just paraphernalia. And so that's very lucrative if you can sell a cheap Chinese-made pillowcase that costs you... 10 cents to make, but you can sell it for 20 bucks because it's got a picture of Frozen on it. Anyways, Disney was like, man, this is making a lot of money. What about little boys? We want to sell Chinese-made crap to little boys too. And so that was why Disney went out and bought Star Wars and Marvel. And Star Wars is kind of famous. George Lucas made the first Star Wars movie, and he put it in the contract that he got to sell the toys. And no movie had ever sold any toys before. And so the, you know, the um, movie studio was like, yeah, fine, you can have the rights to the toys. Who cares? Anyways, now, you know, Star Wars toys have made tons of billions of dollars over the years. Anyways, and so now people know that boys' toys can make a lot of money. And then for whatever reason, Disney has been turning Marvel and Star Wars into girl toys... And I don't think girls have started buying a ton of Marvel and Star Wars. It just, it just destroyed their, that revenue stream. Beyonce's concert movie came out this week and made 20 to $24 million for the opening weekend. I think that's like a third or a quarter um, what Taylor Swift movie did. Godzilla Minus One came in second with $10 million. That's a foreign-made movie. Not a lot of money, but maybe that's good for a foreign movie. Wish and Napoleon had huge drops, almost 70% from the previous week. So, Napoleon ain't no Oppenheimer, and Disney's Wish is just really, really a flop. And Hunger Games came in third. Uh, people like that one. That's I think they're going to call that bordering on a minor hit. And the weekend as a whole made more money than the same weekend in 2019. So even though there's no real singular giant movie, overall, box office was good. Movies are back, baby. Probably not, but maybe. I've been thinking about democracy and elections and the rigging thereof. You know, the election wasn't stolen like Trump says, but... It was rigged by the administrative state. Don't call it the deep state. Don't call it a comeback. Been here for years, rocking my peers. But I said on Twitter the other week that 
Russiagate was long-form election denial. I mean, you know, what do you do if you have been denying an election? You say your enemy is denying the election. What do you say if you just rigged an election and you're about to rig another election? You say your enemy is a threat to democracy. It keeps people off guard. Works pretty good. Like if a cop pulls you over and says you're speeding, you could be like, no, you were speeding. And obviously it doesn't work in that situation because the cop has violence to eventually adjudicate who is right and wrong in that situation. But if there is no violence to determine who's gonna win, um, you, just, you just make an accusation right back. And then, I don't know, people don't know what to do. The human brain doesn't know what to do. And making your accusations before you do something, that's probably a good strategy too. And there's a mildly famous interview of Hillary Clinton. I think it's on 2020. It's one of the big three television station news programs. Where she's like, she doesn't say she won and Trump lost. She says Trump knows he didn't win. She, just, she keeps saying that he knows it. He knows that he didn't win. Now, of course, no one likes Hillary enough to go riot in support of her. To Trump's everlasting regret. And no one's going to make sure to keep security at the Capitol minimal while Hillary's fans go riot. But so Russiagate turns out to not be true, have no legs to stand on, be a hoax. And that's unfortunately why it's complicated. Like Bill Maher, guy I love, he still believes that Russiagate really happened. I haven't heard him, you know, say in one sentence what it means. I think, you know, if it didn't happen, you gotta, you gotta do a lot of words. The less true the thing you're trying to convey is, the more words it takes. I mean, you know, one of the ideas is Russia spent $50,000 on Facebook ads and that made Trump win and therefore Trump is illegitimate. I think that's pretty much all they got. You know, and then you go, well, yeah, both sides, you know, Democrats and Republicans spent billions of dollars on ads. Why does, why does that particular 50000 matter? And the answer is... It doesn't. So you don't people hear people bring it up too much, but that's like maybe the one concrete example. And I think Russia was kind of playing both sides too. I don't know if he did if they did ads for Hillary. I think they were doing ads for like Black Lives Matter. They're like we're we can start a race war in America. Let's say that the cops are racist. But okay, like I want a one sentence explanation of why Russiagate is true, which no one can provide. Let me see if I can provide a one-sentence explanation of what Russiagate really was. Russiagate was a hoax created by the deep state to try and justify an impeachment by the Democrats so they could overturn the 2016 election. Like, how close did the January 6th rioters get to overturning some election? The answer is, well, in my opinion, not at all. But how close did the administrative state and the Democrats get to possibly kicking Trump out of there with their impeachment, first impeachment, how about a second impeachment? Um, they got a lot closer. I mean, it's a lot more powerful people, coordinated, all working, all rowing together in the same direction. So, you know, that's the threat to democracy. Democracy just barely held up until 2020 when they broke it. And then in 2020, the administrative state, you know, did they use big tech? I think they colluded with big tech to 
swing the election towards Biden. And, you know, these are political campaigns. You can kind of do whatever you want. You run ads. You, you tell lies. I mean, that's all politics. But the federal government itself is not supposed to get involved and try and swing elections. And I think when, the, you know, when a politician says lies, that's not rigging in an election. That's trying to swing it. But when the federal government succeeds in swinging in an election, that's rigging in an election. And... The media made up lies about Trump. I mean, they were afraid. You know, that's what you do. You, you throw your morals in the trash when you're terrified, and they were. But, uh, you know, freedom of speech, First Amendment, it's allowed. The media is allowed to lie. Uh, lying is covered under the First Amendment. I guess in the history of the world, the media telling the truth from, I don't know when they started, you know, maybe World War II until 2016, like, that's the exception. That may be the only time that in the history of humanity that the media has told the truth. So, I don't know, you know, that was most of my life. But, in fact, that's not normal. And now they're back to lying, and that's just trying to swing an election in a legitimate manner. It's not rigging. But something that is rigging is the Department of Justice taking Trump to criminal court. I mean, they had two and a half years to take him to court. Like, no new information was ever gleaned by any, you know, in those two and a half years. So to have the court case happen right when the election is coming up, it's obviously political. I mean, I don't think there's any way to prove that it's political. But, you know, you just, if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, etc., you know it's a duck. It's obviously political. And so, basically, if Trump loses this election... This one was rigged, too, by the DOJ. And the FBI and the CIA are still colluding with Facebook. So, you know, the administrative state is pulling out all the stops. And if there's any accountability, it'll come down to the voters. Uh, I guess how it should be. I mean, boy, we are just really on that knife's edge of possibly serious accountability and no accountability whatsoever. And I guess the Biden campaign is flipping a switch or changing their strategy, they had been not mentioning Trump. It was kind of like Voldemort from Harry Potter, he who must not be named. I didn't read those books, but I guess for the first bunch of books, you never say his name. And then they're like, oh, you got to say his name every time because that's what gives you power over him. So they're trying the Harry Potter technique. And I think it's because polling had Biden projected to win in a, you know, squeaker, but now it has him projected to lose in maybe even not of a squeaker. I mean, if it was working, why change? Anyways, it's not working, so they're changing. The pivot. And just like Trump took fake news, like fake news was Fox News. That's what people on the left called it. And then, you know, the day that Trump said left-wing mainstream media was fake news, was also about the same day that the mainstream media started lying about everything because they were so terrified of Trump the existential threat. I think Trump should lead into a threat to democracy. I, you know, people are not that stupid. They can see the DOJ cases are politically motivated. Oh, and I guess, so now, they're comp now the Biden campaign is complaining about Trump, but what they had been talking about was Bidenomics and how wonderful the economy was. And that wasn't working. I mean, it's funny because, you know, it's like two incumbents. 
you know exactly what things would like would be like under Trump. You know, normally with a non-incumbent presidential candidate, he's like, oh, I'm going to make everything wonderful. I mean, why, why would you say anything other than you're going to make everything wonderful? But in this case, you can say, oh, I see what those four years are like. I see what these four years are like. You can compare apples to apples. And normally it's the economy stupid. And it's not actually how the economy is doing, but whether or not it's getting better or worse. So presidents win or lose, usually based on whether or not the economy is getting better or worse in the year leading up to the election. But this is a little bit of a different situation with basically two incumbents. So inflation is down. I think right now it's about 3.5%, which is a little high, but it's not too crazy. A year ago, it was 9%, which is terrible. And so the question is, do people go, oh, look at the, you know, look at the last year, you know, Biden's got four years. Look at Biden's fourth year. The economy is doing okay. Or do they go, oh, look at the economy compared to when Trump left office. The economy is terrible. I mean, you know, no one can afford to buy a house. That's the most important thing in the world is to is shelter. And so that's one thing you can't get under the Biden economy. And normally the president is not to blame or should not be credited with an economy. But in fact, the inflation was caused by Biden's policies. This is the one time where a president actually did it. It was the butler in the parlor with the candlestick. It was Biden with his stimulus. Let's see, the latest odds on the election. Biden had been ahead this whole time. I think Trump is ahead now. I can't remember. I think Trump is in the low 40s and Biden is in the high 30s. Whatever it is, they got Trump up by about four or five. You know, that's real people putting real money on the line with what they think is going to happen. I mean, politics and preferences get in there to a certain extent, but real money does cut down on the BS. And the other thing Biden's counting on is, what's it called? Earned media. Not sure why they call it that, but earned media is when, like, you know, say you're a politician and you're buying TV ads. Well, those ads are not earned media. Earned media is when the local news or the national news covers you, basically, for free. It's kind of like you get campaign ads on TV for free with your earned media. And the media has not been going crazy talking about Trump constantly, like happened under, you know, from... 2015, before he was president, all the way up through 2020. Well, hell, and after 20, after January 6, 21. But they haven't been talking about him constantly. I think there was a time, you know, all the ratings were up, like CNN, MSNBC, Fox News. Their ratings were through the roof, through the Trump presidency, and they just talked about Trump constantly. You know, Maybe one channel would talk about how they love him and another one would talk about they hate him, but people just couldn't get enough of that. And now their their ratings have been just way down. Um, So, you know, that incentive to constantly talk about Trump is gone. So I don't know if they can constantly talk about him. And then, so he used to be on Twitter. And I keep hearing, well, so he's on Truth Social, which is the Twitter clone that he kind of owns. And people keep saying that he's saying just as much crazy stuff as he ever said on Twitter. But I never hear any examples of it. I mean, I don't know if he's saying the election was stolen because they 
hit a ballot box or if you're saying the election was stolen because the FBI got together with Facebook. I mean, either one of those people would be like, Trump is saying crazy stuff, except one of those is completely true. And then is the media going to talk about it constantly if the ratings are in the shitter? I don't think so. But basically, Biden is, you know, is abortion. Abortion may make the election go towards the Democrats. Earned media is still coming. Talking about Voldemort, maybe that pivot will help. It seems like an advisor could sit Trump down and be like, okay, if you just remain silent for the next year, you're going to be president. And he'd be like, I don't care. I'm going to go on Truth Social and go crazy. I got to tweet while I'm pooping. But we'll see. I barely ever talk about the Ukraine war anymore. It's still a stalemate. It's starting to be like the Israel-Hamas war has been going on along that don't need to talk about it a ton. I mean, I still follow it, but I guess they released some hostages for, I don't know, 10 a day for seven days maybe, and now the war's back on. So I've not heard a good explanation on why Hamas wanted a seven-day break. Um, anyways, they did, they got it, and now it's back on. I mean, obviously, it's nice to have the bombing and killing of you stop, but if it's just going to restart, you know, those hostages were uh, leverage that you're giving up. I mean, they still got like 140 of them. I don't know. They got all the men and the soldiers, so, I mean, you know, we don't care about men. They, they let, I don't know if it's all the women and children, most of the women and children, a lot of the Americans. Apparently in Israel, their immigrant workforce is from Thailand, so a bunch of Thai people got let go. I think Thailand is not going to be sending Thai people to Israel anymore. Now they're going to take people from Malawi, which I think that's a black Africa country. Not sure. That's their new, that'll be their new kind of farm workers. I heard a segment on some podcast where, I don't know, it was Mormons? I don't know, some, some sort of Christians went over to Israel to pick fruit. It was like Christian farmers from Wyoming or something went to Israel to help out and pick fruit for them, or vegetables. But that's not a long-term solution. But I was watching something, and they're explaining, like, you know, how are you killing Hamas people with bombs? It was a question I had. I mean, is that a question you have? And the answer is, it's based on cell phone triangulation. So the, Israel is like listening in on the cell phones and they've hacked the towers or probably own the towers or whatever. And then when they see a Hamas person make a phone call, they drop a bomb right there. And Israel has something called a collateral damage scale. And I don't know if it, I don't know if it goes zero, one, two, three, four, or into infinity or not, but they have something called collateral damage five. And collateral damage five that's like a policy that either, you know, so you're like, are we, are, we, are we in a state of collateral damage five? No, or yes. And the answer is, what that means is you, if you, to kill one Hamas person, do you do it if it means killing up to five civilians with them? Like, if there's a Hamas person in a house with five other people and collateral damage five is enabled, then you bomb that house. 
And so normally, before October 7th, uh, collateral damage 5 was not enabled, but at least to a certain extent, or all the time, it is now enabled. And the laws of war say that things must be a legitimate military target. You know, everyone's saying they're breaking the laws of war when I don't think they are, because a legitimate military target kind of is what you say it is. You know, it just has to be somehow related. It doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be the leader of all of Hamas in a house. You can be like, oh, there's a a low-level Hamas guy in a house. Like, that's something they didn't used to bomb. It used to be only leaders in a house. Now they're like, if it's a Hamas grunt, you bomb the house. And this thing I was listening to, they said that, what if, you, what, if it's a, what if it's a building where you hold a meeting, a Hamas meeting? What if you held that meeting one time, but the Hamas people aren't in the building anymore? What if the building is a skyscraper? Well, you know, you go, well, that's a legitimate military target because occasionally Hamas holds meetings in that skyscraper, blow it up. And I don't know, this is from an article of Palestinians and Jews who created some sort of news organization. And I'm sure when you get those two together, that just means a bunch of Jews that support Palestine and then a bunch of Palestinians that support Palestine. But they were interviewing like IDF intelligence agents off the record. So, you know, is all this exactly true? I don't know. But while I was listening to someone describe this article, they were showing pictures of blown up skyscrapers. I mean, you know, six, seven, I think about seven stories is about as high as Gaza goes. But I mean, you know, seven story buildings completely flattened. Why? Who knows? I'm sure, you know, a Hamas member goes into the building. Who knows? And then there was some outrage or coverage of a couple kids who got, you know, Palestinian children who got killed. I think it was in the West Bank. It was an eight-year-old and a 15-year-old. And, you know, you look into it more, and I think the 15-year-old was trying to throw some sort of bomb and was definitely a member of Hamas. You know, that's how Hamas does it. You're like, oh, you're killing children. Yeah, yeah. Hamas members, people of Hamas are children on purpose. It's called human shields. And then I think, we don't know, but I think the eight-year-old got caught in the crossfire. You recruit a bunch of 15-year-olds into your army, and then they hang out with their eight-year-old siblings or whatever. There's going to be, again, collateral damage. Makes a good human shield. But people are outraged. And then, I think it was the same... Oh, no, this is from the Free Press. The Free Press is, I'd say, probably pro... Israeli, but they put up a video of like a Muslim journalist who went to a hospital to interview the people who were there injured from the bombings, and he's interviewing some man who looks, you know, he's covered in concrete dust, and the man is like, yeah, Hamas keeps coming into our neighborhood, and we don't want them to. We know that they're going to get us killed. We hate Hamas. And the Muslim journalist is like, as soon as that guy starts talking it, he just turns around and walks the hell away. He's like, oh, that's, that's not what we want to hear. And apparently, various Palestinian neighborhoods, they've been putting up roadblocks. But it's not roadblocks to keep out the Israelis, although that probably is good too. It's roadblocks to keep Hamas out. I mean, they're not complete fools. They know when Hamas members come into their little neighborhood or into, you know, if one of them walks into your 
house, you probably better get the hell out because the bomb is coming. So, not all the Palestinians are super fans of Hamas. I mean, you know, who knows? Maybe they supported them until all the houses got blown up. I don't know. Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger is a couple of journalists who did the Twitter files. They're now working on the CTIL files, which I forget what it stands for. But a whistleblower has released, I guess, videos and documentation for the government training military contractors to put, you know, pro, pro-woke stuff onto social media. Like, the government was using big tech and social media to censor right-wing stuff, pro-Trump stuff, pro-Brexit stuff. But that's, you know, that's just removing stuff. What about putting stuff on there that's, you know, anti-Brexit, anti-Trump? Well, the answer is they were doing that. And so, like, the video has, like, a guy talking about uh, the law says we can't do this. So, you, you know, it's illegal for us to manipulate the American public. So you got to do it for us. I mean, like, just straight up saying that, which I, you know, I think this is going to get rolled up into the Supreme Court big tech thing. I mean... It's getting so blatant, I think the Supreme Court's going to have to do something. Although, I think they also have Trump derangement syndrome. Even the judges appointed by Trump. But basically, you know, did you think it was the election rigged? Yes. You know, just even more information. Even more information about all that stuff. The one interesting thing was, it was anti-Trump stuff, but it was started by Obama. So it was just in that little time, after Trump won in 2016... The Obama administration set up a whole bunch of anti-Trump work, you know, get work around the First Amendment. I want to call it disinformation anyways, just anti-Trump paid for by the government stuff on social media to go along with the censorship done by the FBI and DHS and CIA. I mean, I think there's a never-ending supply of this stuff. You'll never learn about it unless Trump gets elected and it turns out he's competent at rooting out deep state people. Links in the description. Thanks for listening.